Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Larry Kalemi. Larry is the Chief Financial Officer for Grow West, an agriculture retailer that services Northern Sacramento Valley and the North Coast. Grow West procures, stores, and resells chemistry and fertility products to growers and producers throughout these areas. Their growers buy their products to help them grow and or maintain tree nuts, grapes, rice, tomatoes, stone fruit, melons, and many other fruits and vegetables that the world consumes daily. Larry is currently on the foundation board for United Cerebral Palsy of Sacramento and Northern California. He previously served as board chair for the first tee of Greater Sacramento and as the board president for Financial Executives International, FEI. Larry has lived most of his life in the Sacramento area. He and his wife, Lee, have two married daughters and four wonderful grandchildren. They enjoy houseboating, water skiing, river walks, and anything else involving water. Larry and Lee also enjoy comfort biking, especially electric bikes, hiking, reading, vacations, and spending as much time as possible with their immediate family. Larry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Megan. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today regarding building high-performing teams and then equipping them with the right technology. Technology and people, they're both such critical components to the evolution of accounting from backward looking to forward thinking, and I'm excited to get started. So let's jump in. First, tell me about your career progression and how you got to where you are today. Excellent. Uh, Thank you again, Megan. Yeah, so I'm 62 years old, um, so it goes back a little ways, back in 1975, I got a job working in the rafting industry. So we rented rafts for um, uh, individuals and groups on the Lower American River here in Sacramento. And so started there in high school and I was there for around 13 years. Um, During that time, I um, graduated from college and also got married and we had two children. So during that first summer of 75 was a, a partnership uh, two guys, and they I was their first non-friend employee. So uh, when I said when I walked in there and they said, uh, I said, hey, uh, are you guys looking for uh, an employee? They said, well, we're not sure. We've never hired one before. So it was kind of a fun little beginning to business. At the age of 16, I was given some responsibility. And so that was a, a learning curve for me in the world of business. I worked there during the summers until about 1980. And then when I started there full time, I started college in seriously in September of 79. And that's when my first daughter was born. And then I graduated in 1983 when my second daughter was born. So during all that time, went from a part-time position to a full-time. Uh, I started there basically as the rafting manager. And then in 19, um, when I graduated from college, I made an employment proposal and moving from basically the rafting manager position to VP of operations. And they accepted the proposal. It was a husband and wife team that were running the business at the time. And uh, we had a a great run at uh, helping that business grow. So five years later in March of 1988 was a turning point when I decided to make a change. The CPA that was working for our firm 
knew the CEO at Interstate Oil Company, and I was hired there in June of 88 as their controller. So I stayed with Interstate for 25 years, and Interstate Oil is a fuel and lubricant distributor with locations uh, throughout California and Northern Nevada. That was a big turn for me. Uh, it was exciting. I went into an office where I had more people that, brought, that reported to me, so that was a little, was a little green behind the ears. During that time, we converted a couple of ERP systems, some hardware conversions. We uh, helped them, I helped them implement an inventory system. We worked through six acquisitions. Uh, I wore a number of hats during that time uh, as uh, being part of a family-owned company. After 12 years there, I became their CFO, and we did a number of different uh, jobs there. I removed and replaced some underground fuel storage tanks, helped build a card lock. Um, but most of my time was just basically developing a team with an office manager, IT, financial analyst, and ERP system analyst. So that was kind of a, a fun process for me to learn as I went through there. So after those 12 years, I, I moved on in February of 2013 to Grow West, where I am today. Been here about eight years. Agriculture is our business. We do the same thing. We, we procure, store, and resell product mostly to the end user, growers, who grow all different kinds of food, you know, rice and tree nuts, tomatoes, grapes, pears, all different kinds of varieties. And um, it's funny, Sacramento I've, was uh, where I've been most of my life, and I've known about agriculture, but once you get involved, you kind of realize how sophisticated it really is and how these growers uh, are very temperamental to how they, they grow their product and can be, can be kind of tough because Mother Nature is not very nice sometimes. And so you got to be really, you got to just be resilient and have thick skin. We have actually similar customers, so it was a nice transition from Interstate Oil to Grow West, and I've been able to learn about nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the, the key ingredients to growing plants, and so that's been the exciting part of the process. So there's kind of it in a nutshell, real, real quick about my career progression. Yeah, it sounds like you've had some amazing experience. Yes, I have. Thank you. Are there any particular stories or career moves that stand out in your mind as real turning points in your career? Yeah, I would say so. There's a, a couple things here. First of all, when going back to the rafting days, that time, first time I took cash from a customer, that was like really cool. I said, hey, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is something I want to do more, you know, and also providing a service. Uh, at the time, people would get there and are excited for their day to go down the river and enjoy themselves and come back and uh, want to go again. And so it was, it was mostly a full day thing that you would do as far as renting a raft. But the idea of taking that cash and the transaction and everything about that was uh, providing a service was really cool. So I, I was ingrained into business from, a, from, from very young. The other part, too, was going into, into, into college and taking an accounting 1A course and realizing that the debit credit system, I, I, it, it just related to me. Mm -hmm. I got it. I understood it. I said, hey, I get this. And then there's obviously a lot more to it, depending on how sophisticated you want to get with accounting. But that's where I learned that, hey, this is what I want to do. I think also, too, I mentioned earlier about the employment proposal but in the rafting business. I learned how to draw up proposals in college. And uh, when I presented that proposal, it was a turning point for me because I basically, I basically asked for a new position and laid out the reasons why and said, here's what I can do. And so that was kind of a turning point for me because they said, yes. And if they hadn't, I would have gone a different route. So 
that was kind of a fun whole um, energetic process to go through. Knowing the CPA there after the five years was getting to 1988. So again, knowing somebody and having connections is really what part of being any kind of uh, person who wants a career needs to work on. So knowing that CPA who said, hey, I know somebody else was kind of a turning point for me. Again, I mentioned about being green behind the ears, walking in there thinking that I'll be able just to handle this just fine and, and basically going, oh no, what did I get into? And so those type of things make you make you kind of, you know, they humble you a little more and, and take you down a step. And I think those are good sometimes. Absolutely. Um, and part of it too was, after I'd been there a couple of days, through the interview process, they had failed to mention that we were converting to a new computer system. So after a couple of days, I noticed a couple of the ladies were, were staying late. I said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, we're converting to a new computer system. And I go, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, do you need any help? They said, no. And then eventually they did, and we worked as a team, and we, we converted it. So that was kind of a, kind of a turning point for me, for me, realizing that not only do I have a new staff, but... We're converting the computer system, which which I had not done before. So True. that was kind of it. Trial by fire. Exactly. Oh yeah. And uh, so you, you kind of learn those things, and they stay with you. More fortunately, most of the time, things stay um, status quo. But those are, there are things that come into play. I think turning points too with acquisitions. Each one's a little different. And you know, we ran through six of them while I was there at uh, Interstate Oil, and then the part about leaving and so again i left there in 2013 so before that about three years before that i joined a financial group i became part of a nonprofit board the first t of greater sacramento i joined vistage and uh, those things really helped me to become a better person a better interviewee uh, a better um, manager of, of people and i think those are some turning points about you know, being involved getting to know the group and that that's what really when i say the group i mean my peers and some service providers uh, that are out there and uh, uh, recruiters and that really helped me to, uh, it's a turning point to um, move on in my career to grow west yeah, it's funny you mention your accounting 101 class because that was my exact same experience. I took accounting and it just clicked for me and it, I, I noticed it wasn't clicking for too many other people. Um, so, yeah, that's funny how that works out. Exactly. You know, and it, uh, the I still use T accounts today. <laughs> uh, when I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going on with this particular transaction because we got a new idea. It's just the way I'm a more of a visual person. So when I put those T accounts up there on the whiteboard, it helps me. So that goes back to that initial time I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of T accounts, so how do you think the role of a CFO has expanded and evolved over the last decade? Yeah, that's uh, the, I can only speak from private companies, you know, so because that's all I've worked for my whole life. I've yep. mostly worked for family companies. And so there's kind of a uh, kind of lean that way a little bit from what I've, I've learned. But basically, I know that this role, um, titles and responsibilities of those working, you know, for you, your direct reports, that's kind of changed a little bit. Going back to um, Financial Executives International, a group I, I belong to still today, I've been there involved in over 10 years. And, uh, you know, initially that group was only basically, you know, C-level uh, individuals. And today it's just really grown into a much more expanded 
set of titles. And I think that's happening in our world too. I think there's a little more specialization. I think not as much in you know where maybe in the private world, but it can be. But I think that um, specialization is definitely going to be more key going down the road. I think we'll always have our, our AP accounts payable, accounts receivable, and credit, and all those fun things, which will never go away. But there are some specialties that go along as, as a move, especially with technology. You know, the common phrase of getting more done with less people has been around for a long time. And so how do you how do you manage that? I mean, the goal isn't, you know, to try and get rid of people. It's more of how can you get more done? So I think that's what CFOs and really need to look at uh, uh, going forward because we need to balance that need to grow with also getting employees to be efficient. So I think that piece is constantly evolving. Relationships with CPA firms, I think, are key. You know, I think I look to our firm for a lot of help uh, I'm not a tax accountant at all, so there's a lot good that goes on there in making some decisions. And so I think that some CFOs do have that. And so, you know, where is that relationship? Because CPA firms have definitely evolved on their own too about how they help other companies. And so that piece, will, I think, will always be going along. There's words that we use like strategic, you know, networking, working closely with information technology. There's uh, reporting and analytics a big thing with database management that's been going on for a while. It's going to continue. And then I think too, really the one thing that is so important is working with the cloud and what that means in our world. You know, I use software here for our budgeting. That's all in the cloud. Uh, and then we also have on the other side of it, we have our ERP system that's on premise. So it's kind of a whole different animal there. I think CFOs have different roles with different companies. I think in knowing belonging to financial executives international, I have found that you know no, no two CFOs are exactly alike as far as where their responsibilities start and end. Banking, I think that uh, you know we run four different companies out of this office that we administer, and we have two banks, and we'd like to keep it that way. You know, it's always good to have more than one lender in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's going to be something that is, uh, is, is, is constantly working. Lower interest rates today, what does that mean for, for CFOs? I talked about the cloud, you know, software as a service versus on-premise. The other day I heard also this thing called the chief cloud officer. I read about it. And basically, it's, you know, hey, you're sitting there you're working with Office 365. You're working with, I work with Adaptive Insights, Adaptive um, adapt, adapt Planning. And there's fees on a monthly basis or an annual basis. And so, you know, does the CFO handle that? Or is there another person that does? So, you know, because basically they call them, from what I read, uh, it's called the cloud economists. This was a gal named uh, Rainey Johnson with uh, SolarWinds. And so I thought that was interesting about how, uh, you know, where are we going with that piece? Cash management, electronic workflows, as opposed to more manual, is, is definitely going to be something that's going to evolve. And then I think, not, not the final thing, but definitely one of the more important things is how you work with your CEO and the rest of your leadership team. Are, you know, are you guys a good fit? Yeah, it's especially now that the CFO role is becoming so much more strategic these days. It is. I mean, that's a, that's a key word. And I think there's no place where the, in my opinion, in, 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 a, in a business workflow where the CFO may have some influence. I'm not saying that, you know, they have to control it, 
but they definitely could have an offer of, of how they can see something move through the system. So today we're talking about high-performing teams. So what does it mean to you to be a high-performing team? Yeah, so I think the first thing I got to say here is um, nothing I'm, that I say here is, is, uh, is, is my doing. I've read a lot. I've listened on webinar, webinars, uh, networking, talking with people. So a lot of the stuff here I'm regurgitating, but it's stuff that I feel of all, you know, as you have to filter through everything yeah. is what I think works. So, you know, the process really of working with, uh, starting with your customer, your vendor, and your employees, and how you basically take a dollar from the beginning and move it through the system and get that dollar back, hopefully a little more. So that really is, to me, how that's what the team has to do. And there's a lot of moving parts there, depending on your, your company. And I think, you know, in, in the book, Good to Great, like Jim Collins said, you know, get the right people on the bus. Okay, I can't think of any other very concise phrase that talks about that. And it's not easy to do. You're going to get some pushback, especially if you come into a company, uh, you know, if that's that from outside as opposed to being uh, hired from within. There's a, an emotional intelligence uh, that, they, that, you know, is talked about, emotional quotient, you know, the ability to understand, use, and manage your own emotions. I think that's so important because not everybody is good at that. And so we all have our highs and lows, but you know, how do you maintain a kind of a steady emotional uh, intelligence? And I think that's important for building a good team. You got to make sure those team members are like that. People are still going to get upset or frustrated. And so what do you do during those times? We use uh, also personality profiles. I've done a couple of them on myself to find out where are my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? Who are people that I relate to the best? Who do I have challenges with? Because we're all going to have that. So to me, personality profiles are, are so important in hiring. And also as you work through annual reviews, quarterly reviews, one-on-ones, whatever you might do there, I think those are very important. So which um, ones do you the, like? Which one of those personality well, tests? Well, I think they all they all offer something a little different, right? There's a, you got the one that has the quadrants and where are you, like right, left, top, bottom type thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's DISC. There's we use one that's called ProScan. There's other ones that I've used through Vistage, that I've done through our meetings there, and so I, they all offer something else that that kind of explains who you are, and I think I, I think the key here is that not just to trust one of them but to do a couple of different ones. And there's another one uh, that we use here, the gentleman in Sacramento, it's called 34 Strong. And he does a great job with looking at your personality a little differently. And so I think you gotta find one that works with with your culture yep. and then take it from there. Yeah, I know one of our clients uses a cultural index survey um, and they swear by it. Gotcha. I think those are all great things. I think uh, it adds to, it helps you with finding people with the skill sets, you know, how well they adapt. Uh, not everybody's innovative. So you got to find those that are willing to, you know, react to innovation and those that can actually do innovation, you know, very important. And I think everything else is communication. Megan, I think that we cannot stress enough that we don't communicate consistently and I'm just as guilty of it. And so you just got to get better at that. So I think too, one of the main things about high performance teams is that uh, I saw this quote this morning. It says a person who feels appreciated will always do more than what is expected. And I still, so how do you show that appreciation to people that deserve it? And that's really what helps build a team. 
Yeah. So do you have any tips for showing appreciation? Yeah. So I think the, you know, the, 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 the one-on-one concept or the huddles, whatever you do to either relate to, to someone or a group together, uh, whether you're there in, um, you, you call the person, you know, out in, in with, with everybody there, calling them on in a good way mm-hmm. with that appreciation, or you sit down and say, okay, where are we going today? Explain to me where your um, stress points are. Where's your priorities? Uh, do we get that? How do we get that set up? And then during that conversation, you know, pointing out things they've done well. And also too, I think I have a tendency to, um, I'll go out and just get a, a blank card and I'll write something in there about whatever they did and say, you know, you're appreciated. Thank you, blah, 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 whatever it might be. And, you know, give that to them. So when they walk in the door, it's sitting on their desk and uh, it's, it's, it's available to them. So I've done that quite a few times. And I think that the more you can talk to people about where they're going right, as opposed to, you know, why they did something wrong and try and get them involved to make decisions. I think, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I'm, I truly believe in delegation and I think the more you delegate to someone that, that uh, deserves it and understands it and can, can run with it. So you got to find that right person again. All right. Cause not everybody wants to do that. There are those people that just want to do a job, give me something in my list, let me do it and I'll go home. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So they feel appreciated too, when you can make that happen. So I think it's more about that communication piece, just talking and um, relating to them as a business professional. Yeah, especially these days when the world can seem so disconnected and impersonal with emails and texts and everything else. It's easy to forget how to actually communicate with people. Very good. Very good point. I mean, it's so easy for us to uh, just, you know, send an email and there are times I'll sit there and start typing a couple of sentences and go, you know what, this is going to need a conversation, you know, face to face or a phone, whatever it might be, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so sometimes you get a little carried away with that because it is easy just to send an email and move on. So very good point. So do you have any tips for how we can sustain high performing teams in a remote environment now that we're all, or most of us are working outside the office? Yeah. So the, again, I think clear goals, Clear goals. I think that this is key. I think I mentioned about the uh, the one on ones, communicating with your direct reports. I think uh, technology is going to be uh, an effective technology. Just to get something to get it is not always the right answer. That communication piece, I think, is 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 very important. Also, too, I think the right amount of direct reports. You know, I think what is that number? It's different for everybody as a leader. And so, you know, what, what, what is that? What does that mean? Is that direct report local or not? You know, we've had a credit manager in our company that has, has always worked from home. So I've been here eight years and she was working from home before that and it's worked just fine. You know, so she communicates with everybody out there, all of our sales staff, all of our managers of our locations, anybody that uh, needs to talk with her. So that works just fine. So, but it's been something that's been, we've been doing for a while. So how do you take a position in a company and all of a sudden make it a work from home. Uh, we've, we've struggled with that a little bit here. You know, honestly, through this COVID crisis, 70% of our office is still here. Staff is still here and has worked through this, these past uh, 
however many months it's been. And I think we had to get past the anxiety and are we going to hurt each other and all that. But I think you find out that some tasks work really well and you find out some that don't. And the reason why is you haven't worked on your process well enough. And so to me, when you think about workflows and you're discussing and creating and implementing, and then, and then on top of that, you start over again, improving, you know? So I think that needs to constantly work with this working from home and remotely. I think it has a place. I'm not sure where it ends. I still feel that there are, cause there are customers that want to walk in the door and see you. And we have a couple of customers that walk in here and pay their bill. They're, they're old farmers that have been doing that for years. And, you know, if we, if nobody worked in this office, I think they wouldn't like that. So you've got to be able to, and again, they're the, they're the minority. Okay. Most of the people don't mind doing things electronically, but you got to think about all those things. So I think in some people it is, uh, because I did have some quarantine time myself because I was doing some traveling when, when COVID kind of hit. And uh, the uh, it was an interesting change for me. I was always worked in an office. So that part is very familiar to me. And I miss being around people and talking to them. Even though you don't talk a lot, it's still you see people say hello, walk by. Those things are kind of, I think that it's, uh, some people can they don't, want to do that and it works fine other ones still need that kind of thing to make them feel good about what they do yeah definitely true some people struggle with the work from home environment and not being able to socialize and see people and get those cues that they normally receive in an office i agree and i think you know with this high performing teams and and even talking about it remotely you know the thing that I guess a phrase that I've read before is what's called the continuous close mentality. Mm-hmm. So if you're always, as far as thinking about the books, whatever that means to somebody, what are we doing to constantly think about how we can close quicker, uh, more quickly? And so we can get numbers out the door or whatever it is you do at the, at the beginning of a new month, showing the numbers from last month. I know some things are done, you know, uh, mostly from the sales side about, what happened yesterday or what happened last week. I mean, that's kind of a different story, but I'm talking about that continuous close, doing journal entries beforehand. Uh, what can you do? What can you reconcile earlier? What can you do daily? And I think those are the things that high-performing teams do in the, quote, accounting office. And I think that can still be done remotely. You know, I don't know how... There are companies that have, you know, a lot of entries in, in bank accounts, you know, there's no reason why that can't be done daily. Now, can you move that to a complete electronic move? So I think those are things that are important. Cash flow, a little trickier on the sense of, you know, money coming in. You know, I think that a lot of times right now we are built on the fact that customer, we send out statements. So they send checks to us. We do some electronic uh, ACHs and funds coming into us, but there's a lot of checks that still come in the door. So we would have to change that in our world. So how do you do that? And how do you inform your customer? Is the customer going to like it? And so I think those things about remotely are really drawn around what's your customer going to feel? How's the customer going to feel? How is your vendor going to feel? And how your fellow employees are going to take all that information. So I think it's a, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, and I think it has to come from the top down. The top down CEO, chairman, wherever that person is, has to want that to happen also. Great points. 
and you touched on this just a bit, but technology obviously plays an important role in helping to make the accounting function more effective and efficient, but it requires more than just an initial investment and then kind of forgetting about it. So how do we get the most out of our technology? Yeah, so I'll start off with what I finished up with in my comment there earlier about it's got to come from the, the top down. I mean, and, you know, sometimes that has a bad connotation because a lot of companies want to work from the bottom up. So basically that means giving people the ability to um, give their opinions and be heard. And there's nothing wrong with that. Also, you know, trying to get others to lead. But for really for technology to move along in a company, it has to come from the top. And as an example, you know, we had decided here to try and use SharePoint. I don't know if you or any of your listeners have used SharePoint before, but um, it, we were saying we wanted to find a way to have some file storage away from our current database and sharing company documents and those type of things. And, you know, SharePoint, you know, really is, is not a, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of Office 365, but really it's an intranet and really it's a communication with your employees and leaders, but you also need someone who understands it and can constantly update it because otherwise it can get dry and not used. And we weren't ready for that. We didn't have anybody in place to do that. And so we invested some money that really didn't go anywhere. And I think, and I think now this was a, this was about three years ago, but now today we have our internet and it's working through um, SharePoint. And so we're kind of going, Hey, this is working really nice, but we've got somebody dedicated. So that's where I think technology to get the most out of it. You've got to have that, that, that CEO, chairperson, whatever that might be to say, let's move on. Let's get going on this. And I think that really the key here about getting the most out of technology is what does the customer want? You know, what's the right platform for our industry? to help that customer. You know, we have to look at the customer as the center of the pie and say, how, how do we, how do we make everything else work for that customer? And because not all customers want, you know, state of the art cutting edge technology. The, I think too, after you get that understood is what metrics do you need in reporting? Can you easily just create an Excel document that gives you what you want or do you need something that's more, you know, on the spot? you know, saying what happened yesterday or this afternoon or whatever the case may be. And I think too, you, let's go, us going back to getting that team approach, the, the right team, you know, getting employees engaged, you know, are they happy about it? Where is that going? And I think that's going to get the most out of your technology and finding people getting the right people on the bus uh, that want to really utilize that technology and, and aren't scared of the change that it's going to bring. Yeah, I mean, that's great advice, especially putting the customer at the center, whether that customer is internal or external, um, you got to give your customer what they want. Agreed completely. Yeah, I think a lot of people put in bells and whistles and uh, yeah, they're just sometimes not necessary. That's a good point. I think it's the software vendor's job to sell their product. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, what they say it can do, you're kind of going, oh, that's really cool. But it really, is it really going to help you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. right? So it's one of those things. 
So how do you think technology, when done correctly, will help shape the future of accounting? I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, limitless. I think it's endless. I think that there's the one word I would use as a key is workflow. So first of all, is the company interested in workflow? Is that a top-down thing? Is that uh, a, you know a CFO or whoever has that particular title in the company? Is that something that they're interested in doing? Because it constantly takes looking after is probably the right word to use. I, I don't feel technology would completely replace all of accounting, but I think it can take care of, of, of most of it. But I still think, because we still need to you know, enter information, we need to calculate, we need to verify, you know, be forensic in some, in, in some cases, you know, discussing and managing the numbers. I don't see how technology is going to ever erase, you know, you and I just sitting here talking about accounting and what that means and what numbers we got and the results we got and, and who needs to know. I think that there's still that piece in it. And, and, and no matter what, I think that there's going to be the, the gut decision sometimes, no matter how many facts you have. Sometimes it still comes down to a gut decision, but I think that technology can help get you the answers quicker. Like we talked about the continuous close. We talked about, you know, sitting down and saying, well, how does this piece of paper move through here, through this company? And now how do we do that electronically? And I think that can be done. I definitely do. And, you know, I think we haven't touched on it very much, but the, 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 you know, antivirus world and that piece of information going out the door, you know, how do we, how do we um, uh, make sure that we keep that secure? It's never, that's never going away. And that's going to get tougher and tougher. And I think too, shaping the future of accounting is depends on how fast your customers want to see that, you know, are you going beyond what they need? And so again, it's one of those company things. And I think that if, if you can introduce it to a customer, that this is what we'd like to do and here's how it's going to affect you and how does it affect your vendors people that you're paying what does that look like and even to the point of accounting i mean excuse me employees so you know right now we have we outsource our our payroll uh, software as a service and it works great so but we had to get people up to speed on that and so i think that as long as those three key ingredients you have there of your business, your customers, your vendors, and your employees, they will help you shape where your technology is going for accounting. And uh, again, staying connected at all levels of the workflow and helping and keeping your customers key. I think so many of us fear technology because, you know, we think someday it's going to replace our jobs, but I think really it's just giving us a chance to move up the value chain and, and add more value to the companies we work for. Yes, very good point. I think that that value piece is is very strong. I don't know. I know when, again, I keep talking about it varies between companies. And I think that's what makes our country great is the fact that we can be a little different in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And I think that's good for us. Yep, I totally agree. Larry, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Megan. This was uh, I was a little nervous in the beginning, to be honest, but I think this turned out uh, really well. It's a great conversation, and I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about uh, all these different questions. Yeah, so I've really enjoyed hearing your story and your advice on getting the most out of our teams and our technology. And for all of our listeners today, I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion as well, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week. 
If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.